You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Now, I'm going to, we're doing the last parable that I'm going to be doing for this summer. Like, uh, um, we've been talking about the parables of Jesus, and this is the, the fifth parable that I'm doing, and it's the, the parable of the wedding feast. And of course, you know that uh, a, a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And some people say a heavenly meaning. But it has a spiritual lesson to the, the parable has a spiritual lesson to it. So let's get started. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, telling those who were, are invited, See, I have prepared uh, my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And they went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. When the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man who did not have a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. A Sunday school teacher showed her class a picture of two boys pulling on the same dog. One was pulling on the head and the other was pulling on the tail. Now, the teacher was trying to teach kindness to animals. And so she asked the class, what Bible verse does this remind you of? And one boy raised his hand and he said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. <laughs> Jesus spoke of a great messianic feast that will take place one day in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, I say unto you 
that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place and f- at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There are two aspects to the kingdom of heaven. We've talked about it in, in the other, other uh, parables, but uh, people who accept Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for sin, we, Jesus called it being born again, are already a part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said at one point, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So when we accept Christ into our into our lives, we become a part of the kingdom of heaven. But there is a kingdom that is coming when all things are fulfilled on this earth and we have that new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That our Lord will be king forever and ever. Bible scholars believe that And we also teach that this is referring to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which will occur during the seven years of tribulation, after the church has been raptured. Now, I know I'm saying some words that maybe some of you here today, like tribulation, rapture, what are you talking about? And uh, believe me, it's not my intention to talk over your head, and only if I use some old religious jargon that you would, uh, you would even think that because I'm not, I don't have that ability. But um, we find this reference, of course, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 9, where it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was it granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the linen, fine linen, is the righteousness of the saints. Now, as we go through this, you'll begin to understand the importance of that wedding garment. Amen? This fine linen was the righteousness of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these things are true and are the true sayings of God. John saw and heard the heavenly multitude praising God because the wedding feast of the Lamb, literally the marriage supper, was about to begin. The concept of marriage supper is better understood in the light of the wedding customs in Christ's time. And some of them are over there, they tell me, over in the Middle East, they're they're fairly close to this today. But, uh, and so, these wedding customs were in, basically in three, three, three parts. The first part, a marriage contract was signed by the parents of the bride and the groom. The parents of the bridegroom, or the bride himself, would pay the dowry for the bride either to the bride or her parents. And this began what was called the betrothal period, what we would today call the engagement time. Usually people get engaged before they get married. <clears throat> and uh, 
And this was the, 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 the period that Mary and Joseph was going through when she was found to be with child. They were engaged. They hadn't yet gone through that wedding ceremony. The second step in the process usually occurs a year later when the bridegroom, accompanied by his male friends, went into the house of the bride at midnight, creating a torch-lit parade through the streets. The bride would know in advance that he was coming, and this was going to take place. So she would be ready at her bride, with her bridesmaids, and they would join the parade and end up in the bridegroom's home. Now, the third phase was the marriage supper itself, which might go on for days as illustrated by the wedding at Canaan. And we can see all of these things. We can see the first phase as the engagement, the second phase today as the marriage, and the third phase as the reception after the marriage, right? Only the, their, their reception could go on for a week or more. What, what John's vision in Revelation and in these parable pictures is the marriage supper of the Lamb and Jesus Christ, the bride, and the church is the bridegroom. You and I are the church. We make up the church. So we're the bridegroom. The implication is that the first two phases have already taken place. The first phase was, phase was completed on earth when each individual believer placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, when we became born again. And of course, the dowry was paid on Calvary. The blood of Jesus Christ was the full payment for our sin to set us free and allow us to become the bride of Christ. The church on earth today is betrothed to Christ, and likewise, the virgins in the parable of the ten virgins, all believers should be watching and waiting for the appearance of the bridegroom, which is the rapture of the church. The rapture is the taking away. You see, the Bible teaches that there's going to come a time when, when the trumpet is going to sound, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ, that means people who were born again and died and were buried or cremated or whatever, or lost at sea or whatever, whatever the case may be. But they're going to rise in a resurrection and they will be caught up together with the Lord in the air. We will be changed, the Bible says. If we're still alive at that time, when that, when that special resurrection takes place, when the church is taken out, and we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, our bodies will become instantly like Christ's crucified body raised from the dead. And uh, so, but that's a teaching that needs to be taught in a, in a deep Bible study that would take a whole semester to do, to, to do it justice so that you could understand it. And so I'm just telling you this today so that I can whet your appetite so that when one of those Bible studies comes up, 
you'll say, well, I got to get in on that one. I, I want to know about that. Amen? It's good stuff. It's in the Bible. And it refers to the blessed hope of the church. Amen? So, it is our view that the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place in heaven between the rapture and the second coming. And because the rapture of the church is not the second coming. The second coming is when Jesus comes back to earth. He's not coming back to earth in the rapture. The Bible says he's coming in the clouds. And we'll be caught up to meet him in the clouds. Amen? So uh, it's a good study. Uh, maybe we'll get Ben to teach that one. He's a good teacher. Uh, this needs to be taught in, the, in, in, a, in a real Bible study setting. Uh, probably more a Bible teaching setting than a study setting. But uh, anyway, I want to get to the, to the parable, the meaning of the parable. We've already talked about it. And uh, so the father declares that all things are ready. Everything is ready. There's going to come a time when everything is right. God does everything on time. In the fullness of time, Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem. It wasn't a day too early. It wasn't a day too late. In just the right time, he was crucified. In just the right time, he was raised from the grave. In just the right time, he ascended back into heaven. And in just the right time, he's going to come back again. It's all planned. It's God's plan. Nobody can interfere with God's plan. It's forever settled in heaven. Sadly, the invitation was rejected. They were not willing to come to the feast. They made light of it and went about their personal business. Others resorted to violence against the messengers and killed some. And if you know anything about church history, you know that all of these things have taken place since Jesus went back to be with the Father. Luke's, uh, Luke's account enlarges on this a little more than Matthew. And he, in Luke chapter 14, verses 18 to 20, says, They all with one accord began to make excuse. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I guess any excuse will do if you don't want to do something, right? We can always find an excuse for it. Well, of course... This can also be applied to people today who reject salvation. Oh, one of those days, I'm going to serve Christ, but we never get around to it. I can still remember over 40 years ago, probably close to 50 years ago, a man says to me, Hayward, one of those days, I'm going to be like you. But I'm not ready yet. 
As far as I know, that man never made it right with God unless he had an opportunity just before he had a heart attack and ran off the road and into a cliff. Another young man said to me, Hayward, one of those days I'm going to serve God too. But I'm still a young man. And I've got a lot of living to do. And about three weeks after, we were in a church service in the night. And somebody came to me with the news. Gord was killed in a car accident tonight. Him and his girlfriend ran off the road into a, a lake. And basically, it seems that he got out, but he was trying to save his girlfriend, and he drowned also. You see, we live as if we're never going to die. And you would think, well, that's only just the young people think that way. Sad to say, there's a lot of older people that feel the same way. I still got time. I think I was sort of on this track last week too, wasn't I? Of course, we know there, that the rejection made salvation available to us because Jesus in this parable was referring to the Jews the Jewish nation. The invitation had been given out to, to them. Jesus was the son in this parable. God, our heavenly father, was the father in this parable. But they rejected him. They ended up killing the son. They killed the prophets. They killed everyone who came with the good news. They killed just about all of the apostles in the New Testament trying to preach Jesus. So the Jews' rejection of their Messiah opened up the door for the Gentiles to be saved, for the message to go to the Gentiles. And today there are millions upon millions of people who are believers in Jesus Christ through this message. As the call has gone out, people are accepting Jesus every day on a large scale. John chapter 1 verses 11 to 12 says, He came to his own and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, to those who believe on his name. The servants of the king go out and gather people not originally invited to the wedding. People of all classes, high or low, wise or foolish, rich or poor, good or bad, all are invited. Come as you are. What does that sound like to you? That's the gospel message, isn't it? You don't have to clean up your act. You come just as you are, with all of your faults and with all of your failures, with all of your addictions. 
with the stench of marijuana on your clothes and the smell of alcohol on your breath, it doesn't matter. You come just as you are. And you will find out in a moment that as you say, Lord, I come to you, I surrender to you, that the blood of Jesus Christ, Christ God's Son, cleanses you from every sin. And you come in here a sinner and you walk out a saint. That's the power of the blood of Jesus that we've been singing about this morning. And so we see in this parable, there's a man without a wedding garment. Remember, this is a royal wedding. The wealthy in the Bible lands at this period of time had a common custom for wedding guests to be given a garment to wear at the wedding banquet. To refuse to wear one was an insult to the host. And they would be thrown out. So those hearing this parable would understand this perfectly well. Jesus didn't have to explain it. They understood it. This was common practice. If a king was putting on a feast for his son, for his son's marriage, there was protocol to be followed. And you dare not, if you want to be a part, you dare not spurn it. We understand that we must be born again, right? Imagine the king's house is full. Everyone is ready to partake of the feast. And as the king approaches, he sees one man without a proper garment. And this is totally accept unacceptable. The man without the wedding clothes was speechless, the Bible says. He was left without excuse. After all, the king had supplied the garment. He didn't have to go out and spend hundreds of dollars for the right apparel. If you were invited to the feast... The robe was automatically supplied. You and I are invited to become a part of the family of God. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the robe. That is the spiritualness, the spiritual robe that every man, woman, boy, and girl who ever hopes to be in the presence of God forevermore must wear. It's a spiritual robe. It's a robe of righteousness. It's not our robe. We didn't buy it. We didn't, we didn't make it. It was prepared for us by the Father at great price. It is free to us. 
It is free to us to come in and partake of all that the Father has. But he says, you must wear this robe, a robe of righteousness, not a a self-righteousness, not what I have done. It's a free gift, not of works, the Bible says, so that no one can boast. You can't say, I am righteous because of all the things that I have done. You just accept what has been provided for you. Everyone else had a robe. All the others got a robe. Why didn't he get a robe? It was for him. But for some reason, he thought that he could bypass this one to him a little step. But to God, it was the most important step. He came in his everyday garb with no preparation. As far as he was concerned, his attire was as good or better than the rest had. Do it sound familiar? In religious lingo, listen, I don't need to be born again. I'm not a sinner. I don't wrong anybody. I'm as good or better as anyone that I know that goes to church. I don't have to go to church. Those who call themselves Christians, most of them are hypocrites anyway. I'm a good neighbor, I give to charity, I pay my taxes, I go to church, I'm a good father, I'm a faithful husband. When I die, God is going to accept me, I'm sure. That's not what the Bible says. That's self-righteousness. It's all good stuff. And if you are born again, Shame on you if you're not living like that. But if you leave Jesus out of the picture, if you leave the precious blood of Jesus that we've been singing about this morning, you're on the wrong track. And you've got to do something about it, folks. Jesus said, you must be born again. Not you should be. You must be. And being born again is putting on that spiritual robe, is accepting what Christ did on the cross as a perfect payment for your sin and for mine. And we're on our way to heaven. It's his righteousness, not ours. The significance of the wedding garment. This parable is about the church and Christians who are invited to the marriage. I want you to know there are different applications to a sermon. We can preach from the same same passage of scripture for 50 times 
every Sunday the same passage of Scripture and still make application that we didn't make the week before. Do you understand that? Every person at this supper in the parable represents Christians. The wedding clothes pictures the righteousness needed to enter God's kingdom. Jesus has provided this righteousness for everyone, but each person must choose to put it on. A life cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I know for somebody who has never uh, been brought up in church and don't know a whole lot about what the scripture teaches, and you see someone who have been a despicable, a horrible person, you've probably known them for all of your life, and then one day they go to church and you hear somebody say, oh, that person got religion. What, what they're referring to probably is that they just got born again. And you see the change that takes place in their life. Some of them, it takes place almost like that, and others, it takes time. But over a period of time, as you're waiting for that guy or that woman to slip up, to prove to you that what has taken place in that church wherever they went to and became born again is nothing but hogwash. That the leper cannot change his spots. Once a drunk, always a drunk. Once an addict, always an addict. And that person, because they've accepted Jesus Christ in their heart, is a changed man or a changed woman. And it proves these Proverbs totally wrong. Because with God, all things are possible. You can come in here a thief, and God can change your life. You could become the caretaker of the security of a bank and everything will be safe because you're a different man now. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. That's the power and the authority that has been given you to live that kind of a life when you put on that robe of righteousness your wedding garment. When we believe that we can work our way into heaven, we are deceiving ourselves. The Bible is clear on this fact. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. Salvation is free. And the man or the woman that walks into this place this morning without one cent in their pocket, without one cent in a bank account, who don't know where their next meal is coming from, can be just as saved and just as set free as the one who is living under an open heaven 
with the blessings of God showering down upon them because they're tithers and givers to the kingdom of God. I don't want to get off on that now because that's another thing that I'm very strong on because I know what God can do. I'm going to tell you, if a man or a woman, let's let's stick with this, this person now, with not a cent in their pocket, not a cent in a bank account, not even a roof over which to shelter for, from the, the elements, would give their heart to Jesus. It don't necessarily have to be in this building, but I'm saying anywhere, wherever they give their heart to Jesus Christ and they begin to put the practices of finance into their, into their life, when somebody gives them a dollar and they say 10 cents of that is for the Lord. When somebody gives them 20, they'll say $2 of that is for the Lord and they begin to put those practices. I'm going to tell you, it won't be long before you will see what appears to most of us a real gentleman, a real lady walking into any church or any place where people gather with their head held high and with their self-respect because God has made a change in their lives. I've seen it happen on more than one occasion. And I know it can happen again. I've got to skip some things because my time is gone here right now. Self-righteousness is sinfulness. So in conclusion, guys, in conclusion. Self-righteousness is sinfulness in disguise because it opposes God's plan of salvation. It is manifested by people trying to work their way to heaven. And it can't be done. Can't be done. You come just as you are. The Bible says that we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, that is our self righteousness, is like filthy rags. In conclusion, this parable was clearly told in response to rejection of the king's son and his kingdom by the Jewish nation. However, elements of the parable apply to us as well. For the invitation to attend the wedding feast is still being offered through the call of the gospel. Many are saying, I have plenty of time. I plan to accept Jesus in my heart, but not today. You don't even know how much time you have left. And time flies by. So quickly. Time has gone way past my mind. I'm much older than I think I am. You don't realize. Sometimes 
I look at my grandchildren and I feel that should be the age of my children yet, yet let alone my grandchildren. Where did the time go? The story is told of a wealthy young man. He was told that he needed to turn to God. He dismissed the idea. And then one night he had an encounter with an angel. Oh yeah, you can have encounters with angels. Don't worship them. Don't put them on pedestals. So he cried out in fear, who are you? And the angel replied, I'm an angel of death. I'm the angel of death. He asked, is my time up? The angel said, not yet. Before I come to take you, I will send my messengers to warn you that your time is near. Then the angel disappeared. Relieved, the man fell asleep. And years went by and he thought, well, I've still got plenty of time. Time to make my peace with God. There have been no messengers that night he woke to find the angel of death sitting on his bed again. He says, whoa, what, what are you doing here? He said, I've come for you. I've come for you. And the man said, well, I've, what do you mean? You can't come. I'm not ready. The angel replied, well, I've kept my part of the bargain. I sent you my messengers. What messengers? The man asked. The angel replied, how could you miss them? Your gray hair, your wrinkles, your memory, your hearing, your failing eyesight. Life is short. Life is short at best. James 4:14, whereas you do not know what time or what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. The example of the nation of Israel should serve as a warning to everyone. While God's call of the gospel is open to all, the words of Jesus still remains true. Many are called, but few are chosen. The call goes out to all. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The problem is that a lot of people are not believing in Jesus Christ. Oh, they may believe about him, but they're not believing in him. 
words of Jesus still stands. Many are called, but few are chosen. You are chosen based on the clothes, the spiritual clothing you are wearing. Do you hear me? Do you have your wedding garment on? It's clean. It's a clean garment. Fine linen. Clean. Sometimes we get dirty. We get messed up. Don't fall for the message that some guys give you. You can say a simple prayer. And you're going to heaven. Make sure you got on your wedding garment. Make sure that Christ is living in you. You're living by his righteousness, not by the good things that you're doing. You have been called. The call goes out to everyone. But are you chosen? Say, I can't know that until I die and find out. No, 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 no. Oh, that's, that's another fallacy. That's a lie. You know now. And if you don't know, say, Lord, I want that garment. I want to be dressed in your righteousness. That is your decision. Jesus said you must be born again. And God has made a way whereby if you're born again and you're dabbling in the things of the world, you got one foot in the world and one foot, hopefully you think you're in heaven You got to do something about that. You can't serve two masters. We're preparing ourselves here at Golik Community Church to do a work for the Lord. We want clean hands and clean hearts. We're not about setting up rules of rules rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. But we're going to live by the word. This fall, Mark and I are working hard right now. Mark is going to have a heavy load when he, in the next couple of weeks, when he begins his, his training, his vanguard training. But Mark has got a fine plan to get this church going together, being, finding out what it means to be a church where families connect. We're going to preach the word of God without fear or favor. 
The Bible says it. We're going to say it. And we're not going to apologize for saying it. Amen? It's time to be church, not play church. And I thank God for this beautiful congregation. Next week will be low, a low attendance, probably like this. But then after that, we've got kickoff. And from then, we're getting back into the fall. And we want everybody on board. If you're here today and you need prayer for anything, healing, financial problems, relationship problems, Jesus is here. If you need to get back to the Lord, you feel that you're more of a prodigal son or daughter than a red-hot Christian, come, we'll pray with you and give you some assurance of what the Bible says about the power that's in the blood of Jesus to cleanse from all sin. And if you've never known Jesus in your life, you've never prayed and asked him to be your Lord and Savior, I'd love to pray with you. Help you to find out what it feels like to know that your sins are gone. Amen. Lord bless you folks. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would just bless this congregation. Let your Holy Spirit just take this word and just let it sink, soak into our lives today. We love you, Lord. And we just want to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. You want prayer, you come. Have a great week. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.